Welcome to the RLSS UK podcast channel. So this is episode number 12 and I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, uh, Hugo Tagholm. So Hugo is the chief executive of Surfers Against Sewage. Uh, Surfers Against Sewage is a national marine conservation and campaigning charity and Hugo is going to tell us a lot more about uh, what his organisation uh, is responsible for and what it's up to at the moment. Um, I'm very interested to talk to Hugo about his journey personally and professionally uh, and also about his organisation's journey. So hi Hugo, thank you for joining us. Hey um, Rob, um, thanks for having me. Good to, no good to be here. Thank you. So let's let's kick off. So for the benefit of our members who are listening, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself uh, and ultimately how you became Chief Exec of your organisation? Yeah, well, look, it's um, probably somewhat of a, a convoluted journey, but I um, I um, have been running Surface Against Sewage since 2008 um, when I took over as chief executive. Um, but I've been a big fan of, of the, the organisation since it was founded back in 1990. And I, actually, my first experience of SAS was in 1991. I took part in a surf competition down in Polzeth um, and met some of the founders and original sort of cohort of sort of people around it um and um and really enjoyed it you know my sort of two big passions in life are the environment and surfing and sports and so um it's sort of the perfect sort of combination and nexus of, of everything that i love um, but of course after that in 1991 i went off and, and and did my journey into university i went to exeter university um i came out of that and and went into um communications first in my early career um um, in PR companies, um, working with lots of sort of ethical clients and charities and things. Um, and then I, um, I worked with um, Gordon Brown's wife for a long time, running her children's charity, um, which is now called Their World, um, with her. Um, and, um, and that was all out of London. Um, and, uh, and then went into the sort of environmental sector, the climate um, Stop Climate Chaos Coalition and other charities. And then in 2007, eight, um, this conversation came up about taking over um, as chief executive of, of Surface Against Sewage. And um, when I took over, the, the, the organization had hit a really, really rocky time. It had a, a, a sort of a, a really interesting time in the 90s as a single issue pressure group um, campaigning, you know, in and around just water quality. But um, and in the 2000s, early 2000s, it started to try and reformulate itself, but was struggling financially um, with systems, with processes, with the issues and with its 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 ability to function. And I came in to help um, change that. And I um, first of all, pursued charity status, which we got quite quickly. Um, and we started building a broad portfolio of lots of different campaigns on plastic and water quality and climate change and, um, you know, um, restoring and protecting parts of our ocean and building. I, I inherited two people back then, Rob, um, and we're now 26 people. Um, we've got a, um, 220 regional reps around the country. We empower about 100,000 volunteers every year, um, founders of the Plastic Free Communities Movement, um, founders of Plastic Free Schools, which reaches a million school children. Um, and we've got a, 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 
an all-party parliamentary group that we help run the Secretariat for, which we project the voice of our communities to and through to try and create political change. We've been really successful with that. So we, we sort of work from the beachfront right through to the front benches of Parliament. So I'm regularly talking to MPs, regularly talking to business leaders and all sorts. So it's quite a diverse job, but it's all hinged still on the same thing that it always has been, um, which is a connection with the ocean. I'm a surfer. I love surfing. We're based in St Agnes, where we have been for donkey's years um, in Cornwall, um, North Cornwall on the coast, if people know it. Um, and um, and I love to surf. I love to surf with my son and I love the environment around it. And I think that connection is a powerful tool for campaigning, for lobbying, for creating change. Great, thank you. And then you, you, you moved on a little bit to, to talk about the organisation, which is fantastic. But I do want to skip back because I didn't realise you actually competed. So we are we oh, yeah. to the next Kelly Slater. You know, we, how good were you? Kelly Slater and I are only similar in our hairstyle. And I know this is purely an audio recording, but for those of you that can't see me or haven't seen me, I'm completely bald. Um, and... Um, and um, I was never really a competitive surfer. Um, I was um, average and still am average. And I think that's the experience of just most people that surf. And that's not a bad thing. You know, we often get, you know, within any, well, you know, within many sports, you know, you sort of think that, you, you know, you, you have to be, you know, trying to be as good as the best, basically. And it, it's not the case. You know, you've got to you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy it at your level. You find your you find your best, and everyone should find their best in in the things that they love. You know, because their best is their their record breaking attempt. Their best is is their you know um, world championship win. And so that's what you've got to go after. You mustn't go after somebody else's best because that's not you. You know, I don't like to surf the same waves as. You know, big wave surfers like Tom Lowe from Cornwall, or, or um, you know, Greg Long, or you know, all of the sort of you know, you know, big wave surfers. You know, I don't um, surf really heavy waves, but I surf the waves that I love and give me the same experience that they would have from riding their best waves. And that's the key. Find what gives you that experience. Don't try and match somebody else because you'll only get in trouble. And it's interesting talking to you, Rob, because. If people try and go beyond their best, that's when they get in trouble. That's when they drown. That's when they need saving. That's when they get into real issues. And so don't don't think like that. There's nothing wrong with your best being a three foot mellow day in the summertime at Perrinport. That's fine. That's great. Enjoy it. You know, you're not competing with anyone. There's no problem with that. And I, I think that's really important because people often can feel feel. Um, put off by sport and I've got a 13 year old son or well, 13 in three days and he um and I don't ever want him to be put off by sports because he feels he has to be as good as somebody else he should just try and be his best with it and enjoy it whilst being his best that's a fantastic philosophy and, and I wholeheartedly agree I think um I think if you've got that philosophy to start with it just takes you on a journey and then you can be you know you could be the next Kelly Slater as long as you start with that passion yeah. Um, so do you ever get up to the cribber to to watch the big waves there and the people who who get again? I I I think I'm I'm you know I'm either in awe or wondering how anyone could be that crazy. But um, yeah, some of the some of the waves off, particularly North Cornwall over the winter have been immense. Uh, well, yeah. Well, look, this I, February I watch as well. 
this February's been sort of incredible, you know, and I, I have largely watched, you know, I seek shelter. The crib is not for me. I, I've, I've seen it break a couple of times. Um, I didn't go out on this well, um, but, you know, lots of surfers did. And we've, you know, we saw some incredible waves being ridden, um, which is, which is, you know, amazing. Tom Butler, um, Rob Barber, you know, some, some really, you know, great, um, you know, great um, surfing. Um, you know, we're based in St. Agnes. The, 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 the beach here can actually hold pretty big waves. So I saw some pretty consistently big days here with some, some you know, brave surfers. Again, those biggest days weren't for me. Um, you know, I would seek shelter elsewhere. I can't really say where because it's just sort of code. <laughs> but um, I would well, seek shelter elsewhere. My next question was going to be where where where's your secret surf spot? But obviously you've just uh, you've just dismantled that. So, who are ambassadors for you? Um, well, let me just cover both those points because sure. my favourite surf spot is actually Perranport, and I surf at Perranport a lot, and um, it, it's been been sort of saturated with swell recently. But I've had probably my most memorable surfs there with with you know friends and you know both ends of the beach in really incredible waves and Cornwall has amazing waves as does many other parts of the UK um, so yeah we've um, we've been um, you know we, we can be, be spoiled so I'm, I, I feel blessed and you know this winter for me you know I've had some memorable surfs with with friends in 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 some pretty micro waves and some bigger waves um, so all of the lockdowns have actually brought amazing surf to them so I think we've had three lockdowns now and so that means it's not just I think that means it's actually scientific that a lockdown brings good waves so um so um so that's that's sort of interesting we do we've worked with lots of um, great surfers over the years. We don't have an official ambassadors program, although that is about to change this year. It's something we're bringing in. We've worked with people like um, Ben Skinner um, and his son Lucas Skinner. We've um, worked with lots of the big pro surfers in campaigning. So Kelly Slater and Rob Machado and Stephanie Gilmore um, and various people. And, you know, our, our reach goes beyond that, too. So we've worked with sort of Ben Ainsley and other water sports, you know, champions over the years. So, you know, it's not just confined to waves. You know, we're really here you know, using our experience of riding waves and our love for the ocean to help protect the ocean for everyone and invite people into campaign with us and be part of the movement. Because it's not an exclusive thing. And we, we live in an age that, that, you know, we know that every strong movement and strong business needs diversity, a diversity of people, of skills, of cultures, of viewpoints behind it. In fact, there's no sort of is it where there's no true sort of leadership in success what you have to have is a diverse range of leaders all doing different things from different vantage points to create strength that's how the natural environment works so you know it's how human culture should really work yeah cool I, I, i'm going to ask you one one last uh, question about surfing because I, I know that yeah. well i want to talk a, a lot more about some other things as well and, and yeah. um, particularly about how you took the organization from arguably quite a narrow um campaign which is surfers against sewage to yeah. to, to a more broader ocean uh, beach environmental yeah. campaigning organization but my my last question is is and this is something that relates to the work that we do quite a lot is that 
the number of people that potentially go down to beaches who bought a surfboard for the first time, they bought a wetsuit from the local surf shop and they get out to the sea and they get themselves into difficulty. Did yeah. you did you see much of that over the summer and 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 um you know what what would be the advice to, to anybody listening to this who wants to take up surfing? Look, well I would sort of loop back in in to what I you know sort of said about your own personal limits skills and enjoyment sort of level and um you know I, I would always you know i'd always encourage people to get into using the environment around them including the water you know for things like surfing um and to you know feel the release that it gives you it's good for your physical and mental well-being and um, which is particularly pertinent as we come through this lockdown and hopefully see society reopening um, but I would also say to people, know your limits and, you know, really respect the ocean. Um, and you can feel when it's right or wrong to go in sometimes, but you can also sometimes mis mistake it. Um, and you should listen to more experienced people around you. You should look at where the flags are. Certainly, you know, if, if you're surfing for the first time, you should be, you know, surfing between the um, the black and white checkered flags. And you should be making sure that you're within view of the lifeguards, the professionals that can help you if you do get into trouble. Um, and they're there to make sure you're surfing in a safe place, that you're, um, you've got the sort of overview um, and that you won't get into trouble. So I would start like that. And then that's how I, you know, started back in my family holidays with my parents, you know, polystyrene boards, um, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's an iterative process. You know, you don't go from not surfing to going to the surf shop and buying a, a six foot thruster and a wetsuit and then paddle out in 10 foot cribber. You know, that's not that's not going to happen and, and nor should it. Um, you know, we wouldn't expect that of, of other sports. You know, you wouldn't expect to step immediately into a Formula One car. You wouldn't expect to, you know, immediately play in the Wimbledon final. So you need to, you know, think about that in terms of how you do things and keep yourself safe. But, you know, there are so many sort of good conditions and, you know, find those and find what is safe and within your limits and abilities. Make, I mean, of course, you've got to be able to swim really well. You've got to think about, you know, the, 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 the scenario where you lose your board and you have to swim in. Can you do that? Are you comfortable being out in the ocean around waves and swimming in? So just all of those sorts of things, which are just common, common sense, really. Great. Uh, thanks, Hugo. And and I wrote a couple of sentences out there, which I think are, are really, really spot on. Know your limits and respect the ocean, which is something we'll pick up in a minute. But the final one for me and, and I always, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a great surfer, but what I do enjoy is being out in the ocean, being on a board. And and for me, I often describe that as it's my happy place. So it's the place yeah. where I forget about work, forget about um, everything that's causing me a stress in my life and just really just enjoying the environment and the yeah and the situation and I think you know that's something that um I wish everyone could share um so well, look so, yeah. I think it's a really good good place just to I mean not to go to um sort of philosophical about it or you know to, to talk about pseudo psychology but but a lot of you know a lot of good work and good ideas happen when you're not at work 
and people have a, a, a there's a culture of being present and being switched on that is a mistake for productivity and i think that a lot of the great thinkers of of this world um, and great ideas came from people who really valued their time outside who valued their time away from their desk. Um, Charles Darwin, for example, was famous for having his ideas walking down the grove of trees, which was outside his house, down, down house, I think it's called, um, in, in Surrey, I think it is. Um, and, um, and so just sort of people should dwell on that. You know, actually often your best ideas come when you're not super focused on that idea, where your mind is occupied just enough elsewhere, where you're having a walk, where you're surfing, where you might be having a rest and that 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 brilliant idea comes into your mind. So don't think by doing something that's not actually working that you won't have that brilliant idea that actually solves the things that you struggle to do in your day. Thank you, Hugo. So actually what you've just disclosed there is your is your secret weapon. So that's why your organization is so great, because you have these opportunities to to to, to come up with great ideas in an environment that works. So thank you for that. And um, yeah, I shall uh, I shall take that on board and see if uh, see if it works for me as well. In terms of the journey of the organization then, and just quickly touch on this. So so as I said earlier, that the, the it sounds like a very narrow focus and I guess whoever founded the organization you know had a specific reason whether they were you know obviously surfing in, a, in an area that was affected by sewage yeah. how did you change that organization to become more of a an environmental conservation and, and campaigning charity mm -hmm. look it's a, it's a really good question um, and um, there was a, a naturally a, nat a, a sort of a narrow focus at the start back in 1990. Um, just to give a really potted history, the water companies, there was a lot of uh, sewage, sewage effluent was basically discharged directly into the sea without treatment um, um, up until um, the, you know, the, the, the sort of mid to late 1990s. In 1989, the water companies were privatized and part of the privatization meant that they had to invest in stopping that from happening. And then big bits of legislation came in from Europe, um, really boring stuff, but the urban, waterway, uh, the urban wastewater treatment directive and other pieces which forced the water companies to act alongside great campaigning from some of my predecessors at SAS who were surfers, who were surfing in some of the polluted sort of beaches at some of the polluted beaches back then. Um, so they did, they did great campaigning work and were sort of militant and vocal and all of that. Um, and I came in, in in 2008 and I'd had lots of different touch points with the organisations between between my time and throughout my career. But I came in and, and I, I had the sense, you know, of, of an organisation that sort of kept looking back to that stuff and going like, how do we sort of emulate ape, carry on with that same thing? And it's like, well, actually, we need to change. You know, we need to look forward. We need to look at the new things, that, the new opportunities, the new ways of working, the modern world. Of course, when SAS was founded, there was no internet. There was no social media. There was no 24 sort of seven switched on news cycle. You know, it was, you know, the, the, the one mechanism people received news about SS was through Pipeline magazine, you know, which is our, you know, um, quarterly members magazine. And so it's a very different world, you know. And so, you know, we needed to modernize and some people didn't want us to modernize. You know, I had some criticism back at the time, you know, you know, we want the SAS ball back. We want 
we want, um, you know, the organization of the 90s. And I understand that. And there was lots of beautiful things about that time. But times also change. You need to do things differently. You know, there's an appropriateness to anything at any time. And also, we didn't have charitable status up until the point that I took over. And so that was a real trigger for us to be able to resource what we were doing, set out our campaign plans, add transparency and accountability to what we were doing, you know, really look at our impact and build the team professionally, um, you know, moving forward. So, um, you know, that, that, was big, that, that was big. And so I, I think the 90s was a great era for the organization, but I think we're in the greatest era for SAS now. You know, we've got an incredible team. Um, we need to be really focused on strategy, really focused on the planning, really focused on the impact and delivery, very transparent and clear with our funders, with our partners, with our members, you know, and move at the pace that we needed to move. And so, you know, as I say, I, I inherited a couple of people back then and a very small turnover, um, you know, and um, I mean, I don't really mind saying this, you know, a couple of hundred thousand pounds back then. And, you know, we're, you know, two million plus now. Um, and that's for impact, you know, that's to educate school children, that's to drive water quality campaigns, that's to create changes in legislation, that's to, you know, empower beach clean volunteers, that's to um, equip our regional reps. So all of these things, which are all about impact for everyone. And I think as bang for the buck goes, SAS can offer one of the biggest bangs for the buck out of the whole charity sector. Thanks, Hugo. And, and I find it shocking that it wasn't until the mid to late 1990s that um, something was done about dumping raw sewage into into the ocean, which is um, which is unbelievable. So um, in many ways, we have come quite a long way, but I guess we've got quite a long way to go still. And and so what are the what are the biggest things that, you, that you're worried about the environment now we talk about plastic in the ocean and one of uh, my organizations um, uh, part of our strategy is how we can reduce the number of um, plastic and how we can improve water quality um, mm -hmm. ultimately how we can ensure that our members and our society as a whole uh, yeah. understand that um, we are guardians of the waterways, whether it be inland or sea, and that we all need to use water safely and responsibly. Yeah, well, look, it's, uh, look, it's, it's an incredible time. Look, I, I, there are lots of challenges in our world at the moment. Um, you know, we're going through this pandemic. I mean, I mean, I don't think, you know, 12 months ago, we would never have dreamt of some of the changes that have happened to our lives over the last year. Um, I mean, it's it's really, um, it, it would have been inconceivable, some of the things that we're living through right now. Um, and that is um, an interesting point that I keep sort of coming back to in, in some of my talks and some of my thinking um, in terms of the environmental agenda um, and the, the sort of the, the business agenda. Um, we are at the beginning of the UN ocean decade. Um, we are the, in a year when we're going to see COP26 happen in Glasgow in, in, um, in November, the big climate change conference. Um, we're going to see the G7 summit in Cornwall just down the road from our office in June. We're going to see the COP15 biodiversity conference in China in May. And this year is the UN decade of ecosystem restoration too. And this decade that we're in 
is, in my opinion, the environmental decade. And what starts to happen this year, the decisions that are made at all of those conferences will set the course of whether we win or lose some of these battles to restore our planet. And I think we need to be really optimistic about what we can achieve over the decade and think not in terms of social media change over course over the course of clicking a button, but think forward to 2030 about the victories that we will have as a society to, to change what we're doing on this planet and and to protect our ocean and environment. So, um, you know, we we've gone through a time and we're going through this time, you know, as we record this, where we can't see our friends and family. We can't go to the pub for a pint. Um, we're not allowed to go to each other's houses. Um, we can't go to the shops. Um, businesses can't run. Um, uh, we can't bring our teams to the office. Um, all of those things we would never have dreamt we would sign up to. So what, what are the things that we might, you know, might look forward to, to think that, that actually we can change and we can change quickly in terms of environmental impact you know how can we protect much bigger parts of our ocean and land and and restrict the activities going on in those with marine protected areas and with better protection of our rivers um, and our, our land you know how can we look at our you know global footprint of 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 consumption and and reduce that and a lot of the work that we do is to try and connect people with simple actions that unite their voices whether it's picking up plastic and documenting the biggest polluting brands or whether it's challenging water companies on their horrific ongoing horrific pollution of our rivers um, you know, they, they discharged 1.5 million hours of raw sewage into our rivers in 2019. And these, these are companies that in our lifetime as an organization have made 57 billion pounds in dividends for their offshore shareholders. You know, that's pretty shocking. Um, so, you know, we've really got to mobilize people for change because we do need to change. We know that business as usual is, you know, killing planet ocean. You know, it's, we, we can't carry on like this. In, in my in my lifetime, I was born in 1975, we've lost, you know, something like 70% of, of, of wild biomass, as it were. It's crazy. You know, we just can't carry on like that. Um, and, um, and we need to change. And this is a decade where not only do we have the stark reality of climate change, biodiversity loss, um, ocean pollution with plastic and all of those things, but we, we should also look at the hope, the innovation we're seeing in business, the commitment and the rhetoric we're seeing with government. I, I didn't even hear, you know, even five years ago, we just didn't see this level of interest and commitment. The public understanding that, that we have to change um, and all of those things hopefully will converge and we're determined to play our part in making sure that they do on plastic pollution, making sure that we're tackling single use plastics on the water quality, particularly on our rivers. They should be the blue arteries of the country, connecting communities, connecting wildlife. These were places, Rob, rivers, you know, all of our towns and cities were built around rivers because of the benefits rivers brought. How dare we pollute them to the extent that we're polluting them? You know, they should exist in their natural state. We should be looking at the restoration of our oceans where we're not going to fish, where we're not going to mine, where we're not going to extract anything because we need the natural habitat to exist for the services it provides us as a natural state because we need the oxygen, we need the fish that can spill over into fishing areas, we need all of those things. And if we don't have them, we live not just in an infinitely poorer world, but we threaten our own happy, thriving existence on the planet. So there's so much to do. 
Um, and we've got campaigns that can take people on that journey. Um, and we've got a 10 year plan on the four pillars, climate and ocean, um, plastic pollution, water quality, and restoring our, our oceans with highly protected marine areas. And those things are big, big issues and ones that the public can get involved with through us. So one of the things that I'm really interested in is because the environment never stops changing. Yeah and the battle is constant mm -hmm. yet march 2020 the battle slightly changed and we were put into a situation certainly my organization and, and i'd like to know more about how you manage but how how do you continue to operate as an organization effectively both um for, for you as a chief exec but also for your employees and the work that you need to do and to carry on doing because it is so important against the backdrop of lockdowns, a pandemic, and, and how has that changed and how did it change the last, you know, how you would operate normally and, and what how have you how have you managed over the last 12 months to still do what you want to do mm. and still make an impact and still be effective, but given the constraints and the shackles that we've all had to work with? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good and a, a big question. I mean, we, we the, if it's not, um, it's, it's not the wrong thing to say that the pandemic probably hit a, a good time for us because we've we're we're big enough and resourced enough to 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 have fuel in the tanks as it were to do what we need to do but we're small enough to be agile and adaptable so we um our last big event was our 30th anniversary um, event on March the 6th last year. Um, I had just come back from California from speaking at a conference in Dana Point um, at the um, Ocean Institute there, um, an international youth summit. And I came back and we had our 30th anniversary celebrations at a school in just in Newquay, um, where we announced um, our patron, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, who was there. Um, which is very exciting and, and very, very, I mean, that was the, the, the last event that he did that was a handshake event. Um, it was the, the, um, the last moment we were sort of all together as a team properly. Um, and uh, it's when everything changed. Um, you know, we, we went, you know, and I, I spoke to people in various businesses um, at that time, you know, in week, weeks one and two, and a lot of people were like, everything's over we're like we're like ruined basically you know this this you know what are we gonna we just shut everything what should we do um and i think the smart people you know when actually no let's come up with a plan and the real plan is is communication internally and externally how do you talk to your team and take them on a journey and be very clear about what your expectations are set them up with the right tools to to work from home Make sure they're communicating with their stakeholders properly, their funders, their partners, our members, supporters, volunteers, taking people on a journey and making sure that everything was transparent and crystal clear. Because that for us was was so important in terms of being able to continue successfully, because if every plan had to be adapted, there were some much, much more sort of impacted areas of the organization. Of course, we couldn't do beach cleans anymore, but it's not to say we couldn't mobilize our volunteers in different ways and empower them in different ways, digitally and independently and in their own sort of solitary ways. Um, and so we, we reformulated um, and our size and, you know, agility um, as a small team enabled us to do that. Um, 
we were able to to you know seek very quickly the backing of our financial sort of funders and partners because you know they understood of course you know of course you wouldn't be able to do the same as you had originally proposed so as long as you had sensible plans and they were presented correctly there was no problem in changing those and we did that really quite successfully and my team remains sort of working from home now you know we're in you know a year later we had a, a slight hiatus last summer when i brought people back for a much needed bit it's going to sound really weird a bit of respite of coming back to the office because like everyone's a bit reticent about coming back but actually once we came back and we were together they realized the benefits of of being together the innovation the immediacy the sense of where energy is within a business is something you can't get through zoom you can't get from your living room or your front room or your kitchen wherever you work at home you can only get that by sensing it and feeling it within a team live and direct um, and you know i think they benefited from that and as we move towards getting back to a new normal i think the pendulum will swing back to people needing to be back together more at the beginning to coming back into teams uh, as they work which will be helpful in a number of ways because we're really conscious about you know how teams work and what creates an optimal sort of you know impact an optimized impact i think um Teams work well together. They they can feel the energy. They can support each other, sort of live and direct. And we we need to we need to build that back into our thinking. We can also create and safeguard people um, better. Uh, create sort of the systems and structures by being in an office. It's really, you know, it's really apparent now that people are struggling. You know, not not I'm not talking about SAS, but generally with with being isolated, being apart from each other. Their mental health, their physical health is 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 challenged, and people need a a place of work and a place of relaxation in their home. They need to go to work and come back from work. They don't need incessant digital bleed into their lives by a by a, a slightly amorphous approach of, of sort of lockdown, which is, yeah, you sort of always on, always off, uh, you know, always on, never off sort of mentality. And, and really, I think by having a culture that involves much more time together in a workspace where then remote time can be really focused on on what it's good at is a much better way of existing and will give people the structures and and borders between their lives and their working lives and sometimes for the likes of of us rob you know we you know i consider myself sort of lucky in that i do something i'm so passionate about that it can be a bleed anyway so i'm not, not never never sure you know i bump into people all the time down the beach and be talking about things that will be sort of worky or not worky so i'm sort of lucky there's always that bleed you know in, in a way but but for, for my team you know i'm conscious of, of switching on switching off coming in doing work not doing work and and being able to revive themselves for, for the battle um so yeah it's been an interesting time for us um i i, I personally don't think i don't think despite all of the initial great signs of, of these things, of Zoom and Teams and everything. I don't think it's a way to run a business and a charity in the long term. I, I think it's it's fraught with danger and inefficiencies that, that actually people need to, to recognize. I think we're in, an, in a time that everyone's just been extolling the amazing virtues of these platforms. And I think there needs to be a more critical eye on what they can't do, what they don't deliver for us, and the toxicity that they can build into our working patterns. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really great final point because I think you know what it has proved is that we are we are a communal 
species, aren't we? We we I certainly thrive, and I think most people thrive off interaction, um, almost at a base level where you, you you know you're talking, speaking, touching, feeling, all of those things that we used to take for granted have yeah. been taken away from us. What 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 I am interested to understand is is because um, I think. As chief execs, we've all been on personal journeys over the last 12 months. How, how has it been for you specifically? And, and is there anything that you've learned about yourself over the last 12 months that you didn't know previously? Um, that is a good question. Um, truthfully, and not to, um, you know, labour the point, but I've I've never had to work so hard in all of my life um, as through this this period of time, um, and I feel I've I've been on seven days a week, twelve hours a day for work, really. Um, so it's been a been an intense time. You know, the the team, uh, anyone's teams have needed a whole new range of support and have all had more questions than ever before. And so, you know, we've had to be there for them. You know, you you know you that's that's your duty and that's that's right. So I've I've learned a lot through that. I've learned a lot more about communication again. And I previously thought I was you know good at communication, and this has told me even more about the sort of speed and need for you know ongoing communications and transparency internally, externally to really take people on the right journey. So it's been really interesting. Um, you know, I think it's been a sort of a tale of a, a sort of two halves in terms of working, not working to an extent. I think people, you know, there've been a lot of people furloughed, you know, s you know, frustratingly for them. Um, not not in my team. I mean, I've had a couple of people over in the first period, but but not now. I um, I think some people were being paid and and, and furloughed at, at home, and that was sort of a, a weird weird paradigm for them to exist in but those that were left in in working positions had to work doubly hard um and that was also a weird paradigm to be in um on things they may never have expected um and so i think it's been a, a really interesting time it's going to seem easy coming back afterwards i think once we get over the initial hump it could be like yeah this is fairly straightforward we don't have to worry about some of the things we worry about today um which will be good um, and I'm looking forward to seeing people. I've realised what a social person I am, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to meeting people. I'm I've been very much at the coalface for the last twelve months, helping my team. I'm very involved in the detail at the coalface and supporting them all. And I'm happy to do that. That's that's good. But my actual job is to be out and about meeting people and finding new opportunities and learning and bringing ideas together to help the team in other ways, in more strategic ways. And that's. That's the most important part of a chief executive's role, not dealing with minutia day in, day out. It's about actually about external sort of leadership and making sure that the whole presence of the organization and all of the good work that our teams are doing is recognized externally and understood externally. Um, because otherwise you can get drawn into the, the detail. And I think that's part of the, what the pandemic's done. We've had to get right back into very granular decision-making every day. Um, to, to make sure things can run. And that's that's a, a necessity, but it's not what we need to be moving forward. Great, and and on that theme of moving forward, obviously the government have just announced its roadmap to getting yep. the nation back um, 
to recovery and and um we are looking forward to the next few months of being able to move slowly out of the uh, the current situation um in terms of your organization hugo what what what's on the horizon what are you you know what are your plans and hopes and aspirations for the rest of this year um well look i i am pleased that there's a roadmap and and you know we look forward to playing our part and making sure that it's successful you know we're doing our you know we're following the the guidelines as you are rob people working from home we've got lots of distancing and 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 sanitization measures in in the office for those people that need to come in for essential working but my mind is firmly on this UN Ocean Decade and the big moments this year. Um, you know, we're, we're already commentating and engaged with things around the G7. We're going to be hosting an event um, just before then in, in Cornwall. And we hope to attract some pretty high profile people to that. Um, we're planning various activations at COP26 in Glasgow. Um, and we hope those can be live, not digital. Um, I hope that my traveling starts again um, in a sustainable way but um, normally in 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 non-covid times i'd be in london every week for a couple of days meeting people um, i need to see people you know to create some of the projects and impact that we have that's really important um, there'll be some international travel that i need to do as well so i'm i'm looking forward to that some of our partnerships some of the um, international opportunities we have need to be pursued um, and and helping my team grow as I move back into that space because I've got a great team and people will need to step up into spaces that I'm working on at the moment as I move out into the world again to to talk to people um, that I would normally meet so it's going to be an exciting time um, you know I think SS can have a big bigger voice than it's already got um, you know, we've got a great patron. We're about to announce a new chairman, um, um, and um, and we've got some big opportunities coming up on um, plastic pollution with legislation this year, with a big new initiative um, to mobilise people at the beachfront. Um, we've got um, a lot of work on water quality, a very um, dynamic campaign at the moment. Um, and we hope that in 10 years time, the work we're doing today will have delivered really much cleaner rivers and bathing waters on our rivers and safe spaces for people to use. I mean, if you look at where SAS was back in 1990, surfing was a fringe sport with a few you know, 100 people that did it, you know, and it's exploded into the mainstream. We've got wave pools, it's in the Olympics, all of this stuff. And the same is happening on our rivers. I mean, you know, Rob, I mean, people are wild swimming everywhere. They're stand up paddle boarding, canoeing. They need to be able to do this safely in our rivers. Those rivers should be flourishing with life and they should be clean and proper for people to, to use safely. And of course, there are different safety things on rivers but we want to be part of that journey so there's a there's a huge a huge amount to do and our water should be central to the recovery of our environments these are spaces that are the you know quite literally the lifeblood the veins the artery the heart the liver the kidneys of the planet these are the spaces that can revive our natural world around us. They can be the, the be pumping the literally the blood and life back into the the habitats we've lost, and that's that's what we need to be on. And and um, we look forward to people sort of being part of that with us. Great, and 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 one of the interesting things, and and why I you know was really keen to to reach out to you and and develop a working partnership was that how as an organisation our our strapline now is enjoy water safely. And I think that covers a myriad of, of opportunities in terms of, you know, people 
having fun and being involved in activity in the water but also for a lot of us it's a it's a it's a leisure activity it's an employment activity and we want to do that in a safe environment we want to do that in a clean environment because it, that there's a common thread between a lot of what we do and that is yeah. in, in in water and and you you know if you're a, if you an open water or you're a beach lifeguard you don't want to be swimming in in crap swimming in sewage you don't want to be you know you want to enjoy that opportunity in the most healthiest environment and i think that's where i was really keen for us to try and work together to create that environment so that our members our organization can join your fight and 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 be involved and try and play an active active role in that and i suppose my last question then is based around how not only we as an organization but the people listening to the podcast our members our trainers our lifeguards whether they're beach open water or even indoor how they can help with this momentum what they can do how they can support your work and our work collectively yeah look i am um, it, it's a good question there are lots of ways that they can help um and be involved you know um and, and we're such a you know we're, we're a really open and inclusive organization so you don't need to be a surfer you don't need to surf the cribber you can just enjoy the water you don't even need to enjoy being in the water you can enjoy looking at the water you can enjoy being by the water and whether that's your local river or your local beach or your local canal whatever it is you know you know things we do um, are appropriate for you. Our name is somewhat of a misnomer, and I, I always use a, a stupid, maybe anecdote to sort of to dis, to describe, you know, why we're still called Surfers Against Sewage. Because I'm often asked, Rob, I'm often asked, why, why don't you change your name? It's like seems like you know, it's not exactly exactly what you do. And I'm like, yeah, um, but it's a bit like the car phone warehouse, a market leader, but they're don't really sell car phones and no one really wants to shop in a warehouse full of phones but they are you know well known and they retain that brand because they're a sort of household name and surface against sewage is really well known and we've 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 created products much as car phone warehouse brought in iphones and everything else and all their deals that attract people in we've created products that people can be involved with um, and be empowered through and we've created profile through those to uh, to engage people so whether it's our beach clean programs and we're about to launch a really big new one of those that's not just about beaches but about rivers and streets and parks so everyone can be an ocean activist with us um, we've had our schools program our plastic free communities we've got a royal patron we've been the, uh, selected of course in 2017 as one of the you know royal wedding charities so we've got this huge profile and something for sort of everyone around what we do and we're still there if you are a radical surfer who likes to go in at the cribber so all of these things and people can be involved um, they can download our app which is a good safety app at an intersect between what we do and what you do our safer sea service the only real-time information about when and where sewage pollution and diffuse pollution is going into your favorite beach. 370 locations around the country where you can get real-time information if there is sewage pollution. And of course, you don't want to get a notification. And no news is good news in that case. And so you can get it for whether it's Perrinport, my favorite beach, or Port Tower, where, you know, was a big battleground originally when we started as an organization, or places all around the country. You can get information that can protect you and give you the cleanest possible experience when you go into the ocean. And that's good, not just on the environmental agenda, but on your 
personal safety and risk agenda. So you can protect yourself from coming into contact with you know, poor water quality. Great thing for everyone. Um, so all sorts of things. You can sign our ocean and climate emergency petition, something we're gonna be taking forward to COP26 um, in, uh, in the autumn time. Um, and you, know, you can become a member if you want. Um, so all sorts of different things, um, great ways to get involved, start a plastic-free community, sign up for plastic-free schools, download our digital resources. Um, you know, most of it, if not all of it, is just free content for you to take and be inspired by and that's what it's there for if you ever if people want to make donations or whatever they can do that too but it's not our first ask of people right thank you and um i think as an organization and individually i'm proud to stand side by side with you to help clean up our water systems it's such important work and um I did give you a little bit of a, a misdirection there. There is one final question, and yep. it's a question that I ask all my guests. Yeah. Um, and I, and I want to um, you know, continue that positive note towards the end. So my question is, Hugo, what's the best thing about being chief exec for Surfers Against Sewage? That is a good question. Um, I would. Say, look, it's it's been. I'm incredibly proud of the impact of what we're doing. I'm incredibly proud to see the people we've been able to inspire, to mobilise. I'm I, I, I'm eternally grateful for the work they do. Not just the individuals, but the other organisations I've seen spring up because of things we've launched and and ways we've worked. Um, so I'm just proud to see the impact we have. You know, personally, the journey never ceases to sort of fascinate me. Um, and um, I'm, I'm really delighted that I've been able to work with so many great people through the organization, not just my team and trustees um, and, and volunteers and members, but, you know, um, you know working with Prince Charles, um, our patron, you know, working, you know, meeting and working with Sir David Attenborough um, and all of the people that it's introduced me to along the way, much of which sort of exceeded even my childhood dreams. Um, and I work endlessly hard to deliver that. So it's tiring, but it gives me an enormous reward. And thank you to sort of everyone who's been part of the journey so far. And I think we've got a, an incredible journey still to go on. Thank you, Hugo. And what a great great way to end and i wish you all the success in the world uh, because the work you're doing is is so incredibly important so good luck with that journey and unfortunately that's time has come to an end um i hope you've enjoyed that i knew it would be a, a really passionate and uh, really insightful conversation so thank you for giving up your time today and thank you to everyone for listening uh, remember that all of our podcasts are available on the podcast channel available through apple spotify and google uh, if you're not already please follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and we can try and update you on uh, future podcasts but in the next week's episode uh, i'll be speaking to uh, a guy called matt lewis now matt lewis is an author of a brilliant book called last man off uh, which is a true story of disaster and survival on the antarctic um, so really looking forward to hearing his story um thank you again hugo take care thank you